Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. 2010, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, directed by Edgar Wright, based on the graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley shows us the adventures of Michael Sarah's slacker musician who discovers that in order to win the heart of foxy New Girlingtown Ramona Flowers, he must fight and defeat her seven evil exes in combat. To join us to discuss this uh, movie, we have Preston, who actually did the music for this very podcast several years ago. Hello, Preston. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Michael. Hello. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. So tell everyone about uh, about you and your various projects. As Kevin had mentioned, I did the music for Gleaming Tube. I used the student or the, I guess, the title Kissing Contest, which is me and a ragtag gang of whatever friends are available the night of a show playing weird new wavy kind of music. I guess I wasn't really prepared to do the plug <laughs> thing this early in the show. Um, Tell us about you. I have played music for forever. And so for the last 12 years, I've been told, hey, your band reminds me of that movie, Scott Pilgrim. So I am the local authority on Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I like the garage rock. I like the comic books. You can't see it, but I uh, I do somewhat resemble uh, Michael Sarah in Scott Pilgrim versus the world which doesn't help my case, <laughs> but I I'm here to embrace it and really let you guys know that uh, I know, I know I get it. I, I look like Scott Pilgrim. I sound like sex bomb, but yeah, you, you could do, you could do worse. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, it, it's usually a compliment. I had a similar experience in the late nineties when the movie high fidelity came out. Oh yeah. People were giving me shit about that. <laughs> um, and that has skateboarding in it too, so we will probably get to that at some. Oh point. yeah, we got to touch on that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, this time out, we're talking about Scott Pilgrim. Uh, so, Preston, what is? I mean, you had mentioned that various people had mentioned how you reminded them of it. Did you? Is that how you discovered it, or were you like a fan of the graphic novel or the movie before that? So, I had had an awareness of the graphic novel uh, when I was in high school, but like high school is probably the the major dip as far as my comic reading goes. So it was the beginning of like the golden age of superhero movies. So I definitely moved into the, I'm not going to really read them because they're just going to make pretty solid movies about them. And, you know, graduating in 2009 to that point, the really good movies we were talking about were uh, Spider-Man two and X-Men two uh, you know, just a lot of sequels that it was like, oh, we got this. We can do this. And so when Scott Pilgrim came out, it wasn't long after I heard about it that they announced the movie. And so I was just like, oh, cool. That's one less thing I got to read. Uh, <laughs> but then I I missed it in theaters. And then like any cult movie, it had the groundswell on home video or on demand or whatever. And within like 
a month of it going available on on demand i would say about seven of my friends said hey you got to watch this movie scott pilgrim i rented it come on over and so i had like a week's worth of watching that movie with different friends and them all saying hey this is like your band (laughs) um and then you know life started to imitate art and there was the garage rock revival and i just kind of slid right into that and now we're here nice yeah it's funny i had a had a, a, a weird different entry point to the world of scott pilgrim in that um the very first time that i visited a friend of mine in los angeles my friend hannah stein shout out to hannah stein uh for the airplane ride home so she had been a massive collector of sort of like um tween and teen media for her job uh at a toy company and plied me with a few volumes of Scott Pilgrim as you know the print version of it for my flight home and this was I like I didn't realize it but it was I think the movie was basically in production at the time but I didn't know it and I enjoyed the hell out of the comics I thought they were really funny and 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 kind of well put together. I really liked the, the graphic style of them. And so no sooner did I get home, but within a couple of months, I saw the pre, you know, the, 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 the trailer for the movie. And I was like, holy shit, this is this whole world that I didn't know anything about that suddenly, you know, I, I appreciated the comics and then immediately got to appreciate the, the live action movie, um, which was, that was kind of like interesting kismet. I think that that, that happened so sort of fluidly. I should note that the the Scott Pilgrim graphic novels came out in a slightly different format than American comic fans are used to. A lot of times comic books come out in these sort of like 20 page single issues every couple of months. And Scott Pilgrim was a series of six kind of novel length black and white books that told the story in each one. They came out like one a year, maybe. Yeah, I I think I had the first now, Kevin. Let me ask you a question. Would, would in my mind, I sort of associated them with almost like a manga format, where they were like small little chat books. Is that correct, or is that yes and no? I think there was a heavy manga influence on the Scott Pilgrim books. Manga. Okay, I've been pronouncing that wrong for thirty years, <laughs> uh, but I don't think they're technically that um, because okay. you don't read them back to front yeah unless it comes from the manga region of japan (laughs) just cultural appropriation sure sure but no yeah it's black and white it's on pulpy paper uh and yeah it's give or take the length of a, a manga volume so you're not wrong in that that's that's how i view it as well yeah i kind of that that's what i sort of assumed and and you were right where they started production on the movie after the third volume came out um after the third of six which is kind of interesting because i don't think brian lee o'malley had fully mapped out where he was going with the series when they had started production on the movie and there are change like as the movie goes on it becomes less faithful to the book kind of like the game of thrones show sure where once that lapped the books it started going off in its own direction and i think in the original, I had read in the original uh, script of the movie, and I think they even filmed this and showed it at preview screenings. Scott ends the movie originally getting together with Knives Chow. Huh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I yeah, think I yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah. 
so the there's like a a on the dvd features there is that full scene like that it's totally shot and cut um and yeah they so when they greenlit the film they intentionally didn't really communicate about how it was supposed to end so the movie could go in its own direction while the comic goes in another um, like, I mean, I guess they they probably worked out and I'm sure Edgar Wright and the screenwriters spoke with Brian Lee O'Malley. But I think he gave a, an idea. And then when he was writing the rest of the books, he just like deviated completely. Well, I seem to recall in the, in the books that I read, it moved like I think at some point Scott moves away. Doesn't he go to college and starts another different band and. And like gets back together with knives. Like there's a whole, uh, you know, there's a whole living universe. The books, the books take place over the course of about a year and the movie takes place over the course of about a month. Right. So okay. it's, it's way more compressed because you're, you know, adapting six books into one movie. Sure. sure. Um, I remember when this came out, I could not have been more excited for it because I was super into the, the graphic novels. Unlike Preston, this was sort of at one of, uh, one of the high points in my comic reading time, I was working at a startup and I would just take long lunches every Wednesday and go to the comic book store and then read my comics over lunch. And I was a huge fan of Edgar Wright. I loved his uh, British TV show space that he did, that he did with Simon Pegg. Um, I loved the movie Shaun of the dead that he did. Um, and he had done hot fuzz by then too. So I, I was really into his stuff and I thought he was a sure. really good choice for the material and i was interested to see like what he would kind of do without simon Pegg. like how much of the sensibility was his i really liked it but i also remember this movie did not do well at the box office despite sort of being an enormous comic on it it's all anyone would talk about at san diego comic-con that year there are you know there are enormous posters like that draped an entire skyscraper and they kept having these sellout screenings at Comic-Con and people like confidently said like this movie is going to be huge. Um, and then it didn't do well. And I think that is the movie that sort of soured Hollywood a little on Comic-Con and made them think, oh, well, maybe Comic-Con isn't the key to all <laughs> right. wealth and fortune. Maybe this collection of like highly specific doofuses like <laughs> are not the tastemakers we had originally thought they were. Right. You know, it's, it's, I think the thing that I find the most charming about the film is that I, I'm a, I'm always a fan of something that is a niche genre, like specific to comic books. The, and the movie is obviously very couched in video game lore. And yet I, who am, am absolutely a tourist in the world of comics and and know almost nothing about the about gaming culture at all still managed to love the movie and find a lot to love about it like i know just enough about gaming to know that coins are a are a a a, a thing and that there's a you know you you there you know you go up levels until you fight a final boss like i kind of know that those elements about gaming but that's about as far as my knowledge of that world goes and yet i watched that movie and was completely delighted by it even though i am a kind of an outsider in 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 that world i thought it would did a good job of of uh being wildly entertaining and not so niche and so inside that 
a, a, a neophyte like myself wouldn't be able to enjoy it. Well, I think also you probably related to, I think that just the living in Toronto and being young stuff reminded me a lot of what was going on, like in Providence, maybe a few yes. years when you were around the same age of the characters and you're, you know, you're at these parties and, oh, there's a mysterious cool new girl in town that everyone's talking yes. about. I felt like all of that stuff felt really true to life. And I felt like, you know, the video game logic and the comic references were kind of there to serve the emotional beats. Well, and it, it, yeah, it definitely, it was indicative of a certain time in your life where the everything, you know, all the interactions seem very high stakes, but they're actually very, very low stakes. Uh, and I mean, I think also the casting and the writing on the, on the movie are fantastic. You know, like every, it's what, it's got that, it's got that very like, 16 candles or the uh um uh can't hardly wait quality of everyone of a certain age in Hollywood at that time makes an appearance yeah. as a you know as a youngster and you really it's like this this real rogues gallery of like people who would go on to be really really well-known actors at the beginning of their career and it's like it, and that was really fun to watch as well you know like just the spot that guy you know, in the, in the, in the back. Yeah. I, I think Scott Pilgrim has the highest concentration of uh, comic book related actors. Uh, like every single person that has a speaking role seemingly has popped up in some comic book film or cartoon uh, at least once since being in the film. Like you've got Brandon Routh with Superman. You've got Brie Larson who is Captain Marvel You've got Chris Evans, which we'll be talking about him later. He's the Human Torch. He's Captain America. He's in a ton of other not very good comic adaptations that people don't really talk about as much. Um, (laughs) Right. Like, it is just everyone. And then there's, yeah, that, that indie film, like all the indie darlings, like the basically the second generation of Judd Apatow stuff. So it's like a comic book freaks and geeks essentially yeah de- definitely definitely that's you're that's a, that's actually a really good uh uh s- sort of simile is that yeah it's like a you watch those you watch freaks and geeks and you see everyone who eventually went on to be somebody else and yeah they're all in that movie it's it's good fun i also i also really like the idea you know when you watch the film a couple of times it's i think it's important that especially the character of scott pilgrim it, if Michael Sarah had played it just a, a little wrong, he would have been a little too sort of like self-satisfied yeah. with who he is. But I think that the way that Michael Sarah plays him, it's like, he's sort of like knows he's kind of a piece of shit, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's sort of like, like he's, he's only really sort of like shy and self-conscious in a way that serves him but he also is aware of that. And so there's like, without it being too arch and too ironic, everybody does is what the, 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 the world is populated by people who are sort of aware of their own sort of full of shittedness, I guess, which I don't remember. I don't remember if that's evident in the comic, but I, it's, it's certainly evident in the movie. I would say it's resolved better in the comic than in the movie, because I think you're right. Like Scott's not a good person. And he sort of treats everyone around him like an attache. And then at the end 
of the movie, he gets this like level up sword that's like self-respect. And I think Scott doesn't need to respect himself. He needs to respect other people. And in, right, the, right. in the comics, he gets the power of understanding, which is a a better way of resolving that because Scott needs to understand like how his behavior is affecting other people. Also like the nega Scott thing at the end of the movie is kind of played as a joke. And in the book, it's more like this is Scott accepting the negative parts of himself and that he has to acknowledge that he's been a shitty person to people. Right. Right. Yeah. I, he, yeah. He, I don't think that movie Scott is lacking in self-respect at all. You know, I think he's got a little bit of that in spades. It's the, it's the respecting of others. That is a sort of a blind spot for him. But it, like I said, it, it, at least it's all played. And I mean, let's face it, the rest, like I said, the rest of the cast, like uh, Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin is amazing in that movie. He's so good. Uh, I love it to death. And the fact that it's like, I, I also love the idea of snow playing this major, you know, just, just the weather, you know, being from the, the, the East Coast and being from New England, we all know how a huge deterrent in in our social lives can just be the fact that there's two feet of snow absolutely and that's just this other level that you have to deal with and i i could certainly relate to the idea of just like wanting desperately to hang out but just being too goddamn cold yeah and ending (laughs) up at strange houses just because it's too cold and like it works out for scott in this but like how many times have you had that winter where it's just like i am hanging out with this person still and i it's just because there's snow. Yeah, yeah. Or I, 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 it, it. Not that this happens in the movie, but it, it reminded me of a of one of my favorite prominent prominence phenomenons of hanging out in an apartment that you either used to live in yeah. yourself or hung out with some. You know, with like ten years prior, you hung out at the same exact apartment, and now you're here again for some, because it's cold and it's late, and you just need somewhere to be that's not standing out in front of a of a club that's freezing. Yeah, that's 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 certainly a, a phenomenon I can recognize. And this issue of this town where kind of everybody knows everybody's history. Like, there's the guy Como, who his whole thing is he knows everybody. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that was very true to life, especially like in Providence, when you're like trying to to meet romantic partners, it's like everyone knows everything about everybody and everybody has an opinion, which I think is why, like when someone like Ramona shows up, everyone's like, ooh, yes, she doesn't have the, the baggage associated with the rest of the city. But then, you know, obviously she's got these seven evil exes. So every, everyone's got their baggage we we need to we need to uh we need to find out about as much as much as as much as we can about this person before they find out about us one of my best friends like met his future wife at uh i think at a combustible edison show in providence and all of her roommates told her that she should not date that dude because he's friends with me and i'm an asshole (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) that is well trodden territory and and i think they're the reason they thought i was an asshole was because their band was going to play on the college radio station. And I, within earshot, referred to them as bikini kill knockoffs. <laughs> well, Kevin, you, you do, that is pretty on brand. I would, I love you to death, but there, there was a time where you were, well, I could, let's, let's say we were quite a bunch of fucking assholes <laughs> in, 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 in Providence. Believe me, I, I know, I don't know if you know this, Kevin, I coined a term for exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I, I, I usually refer to it as Providensity. 
which is uh which is when uh various people are at cross purposes and uh everyone knows each other it's a good time i haven't lived in providence in in several years is it still like that preston yeah pretty much um i mean i because the pandemic i haven't really been as present around there as i once was but yeah scott pilgrim is very much a representation of what it's like being involved in any sort of like music or art scene uh, and how small it makes a town oh sure like you know when new people come along it is kind of like a let's float around between bands or let's float around at parties and see if anyone knows anything and that it's not just like romantic prospects it's like anyone that shows up it is someone has to know something it, it, you'd be it'd be good i think there's i i, I always recall that there was a a, a, a large need for drummers in process oh, yeah. there's never enough drummers yeah we need more we need to import drummers like certain rural communities need to import bachelors yeah there was never providence needed kim pond yeah. they, they needed yeah it's absolutely absolutely well and speaking of drummers and music i i also remember being really struck by how good their band is that song that they play that first song is a goddamn fucking barn burner that's a really good song and i remember thinking like man i wish this was a real band isn't it wasn't it beck i I think beck wrote the music i remember being at new york comic-con before the movie had come out, um, after like the fifth Scott Pilgrim volume and, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley was doing kind of a Q and a, and the first question he got was some, some dude in the back asked, are sex bomb a good band or a bad band? <laughs> and he like really started laughing and was like, well, I guess, uh, they can be whatever you want them to be. It works either way. But in the movie, they're a good band. They are like that. that is, like I said, you know, when they're rehearsing in the living room and they start playing, I thought like, holy shit, like I would rock the fuck out to these guys. It's a, it's a good rock band. Yeah. Like, so it's Beck that did all the music for Sex Bomb, And then I think it was Broken Social Scene that did Crash and the Boys. And then okay. Metric did clash at demon head but then there's like the score is done by like nigel godrich and dan the automator and like a few other people like when it like kind of like branches out into different genres that's so some some lightweights yeah yeah you know just <laughs> some people saying, you yeah. might have seen in just a liner a, note or two just some yeah. nobodies exactly <laughs> that's fantastic now i do want to get into the the skateboarding here. Um, Chris Evans plays a character named Lucas Lee, who's a former pro skateboarder turned actor. And you wonder if it's a, a bit of a playoff on Jason Lee, although he acts nothing like Jason Lee, like Jason Lee was not an action star. Right. I think that it's, it's interesting because that's immediately where you go to. I mean, his last name is Lee. He's a former professional skateboarder, but Jason Lee seems like he's regarded as a pretty well-liked dude who is not sort of a dickish jock action star so it it made me wonder like you know maybe it was that he was supposed to be a, more of a of a of a character of him in the comic books and then they decided to play it differently in the movie because in the movie chris evans plays it like well it, it actually in actuality he plays it more like the perception of pro skaters 
at the time that the movie came out, which is many years after Jason Lee was a professional skateboarder, where suddenly professional skaters did sort of become these real corpo jock types who, you know, were at, they were, it was, it was one of the first times where, where skate, professional skateboarders started treating themselves like athletes where they trained and worked out and had suddenly were very sort of muscular and spry. And I, I, I kind of felt like Chris Evans take on it was more contemporary to the way that skateboarders were perceived at the time that the movie came out. It could also be too, that um, a lot, a lot of the names in the graphic novel in the movie are kind of references to something like Scott, Scott Pilgrim's a plum tree song uh, the main guy in Scott's band is named Stephen Stills. Stephen Stills. The other kid's name is Young Neil, right? Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. I could have sworn in one of the commentaries, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley admits that he's named after Jason Lee, but he does acknowledge that uh, he's nothing like Jason Lee. But yeah, I, I think that the intention is, yes, skateboarder turned actor is a reference to Jason Lee. Right. And and so in the sequence in which he challenges him to do the, the crazy trick down the handrail, that was one of the few moments where I, I was able to sort of recognize the the the, uh, the influence over video games in the film, which is that in all of the skateboarding video games, the tricks and the, the ability to do the tricks are really, really inflated where you would never be able to do a handrail the way that he does the handrail in, in the reality of skateboarding. Wait, so you can't do a grindy thingy like in Tony Hawk. Well, the, so, and this is a funny thing that I've never actually sort of touched on. Never tried it because I'm, I'm terrified. Right. So one of the things that I've never touched on in, in this podcast, which, and this is a, a perfect moment to kind of get into it is that there is this weird exchange in modern skateboarding where once those Tony Hawk games came out as ridiculous as some of the trick combinations and some of the height of the air and the amount of flips that they could do as ridiculous as they seemed once people started being able to watch the avatars do some of the really technical tricks like a trick within a trick on a ledge there was this weird bump forward in real skateboarding where, they, and this is a real thing. Like once they were able to visualize it in a video game and see the foot placement, all of a sudden in real skateboarding, there became this weird technical revolution, especially in ledge tricks where people were able to figure out how to apply the pressure to a certain point on a board to, to do a, a, a trick within a trick in the same ledge. And so Watching that occur in real time and watching skate videos and suddenly there are people doing a nose slide and like nolly heel flipping out of a nose slide into a into a tail slide was absolutely a, a, a product of those fucking video games. And it's really strange to, to, to see that that 
that, you know, real life was now imitating the art in this way. But in the movie, the fact that it's like a long, long rail that's covered in snow and he jumps from one part of the rail to another part of the rail and then ultimately eats shit is way more of a reference to the abilities that the skaters had in the video games as opposed to the abilities that they had in real life. And I actually remember watching the movie and getting the reference and be like, oh, that's he's challenging him to the video game reality of things when in reality they're set in the re- the reality reality of things. I don't know if what I made I said just made any sense, but it 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 tickled me that he was like, "Can you uh, you think you can do that handrail?" And the and the guy the video game version of it was like, "Of course I can!" And then he turned into coins and and ultimately Scott won that battle by by just letting him compete against himself, which is I guess a nice uh, a nice metaphor there for for something I'm not sure what. But uh, yeah, it was it sure was fun to see uh, skateboarding in a in a movie because that was still sort of a relatively new thing at the time. Wasn't a lot of skateboarding in motion pictures. So Preston, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you had mentioned that this came out at a period like in high school when you weren't reading comics, which I think tracks for a lot a lot of people I know who read comic books. Kind of stop in high school. Um, I, I know I did yeah. partly because it was like. I got my driver's license and it, it was like, okay, well with like the money I'm paying on this, I can afford records or I can afford comic books and I got to pick one. And I went with records, um, but came back to it. Did you come back to comics later? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think more than anything, it, it wasn't necessarily a budget thing. It was uh, an availability thing to an extent. So uh, being born in 91, I grew up, uh when like comic book cartoons were on like 24 7 and also i could just go to a thrift store and find just like piles and piles of comics that like speculators bought thinking that it was going to be you know the next big book and it wasn't it was like x-men number one or it was spider-man 300 or whatever so i could get books on the cheap as a 10 year old and then you know, that kind of dried up for a little bit. And, you know, I kind of moved on to digging through the record bins at the thrift stores. But then I I kind of came back to it probably late high school, uh, post high school-ish. And I've just kind of played catch up here and there. Uh, and like, you know, the fact that there is Marvel movies every three or four months or so that are good. And there's DC movies that are not, (laughs) it's like, it's really great to be able to enjoy these, a lot of the stories as like familiar stories, but then also enjoying them as like things that I have not read. Like, for example, I remember civil war happening and I remember flipping through pages of it, but I had no knowledge of it aside from the fact that shortly after the event ends captain america dies so when i went into civil war in the theaters i was like oh they're gonna they're probably just gonna kill off chris evans so he can you know focus on signing copies of scott pilgrim (laughs) um but yeah so like i'm back into comics but yeah the i would say the span of like 2000 four to 2009 was probably my lowest comic book reading there's not a lot of comics out there that kind of have that weird mix of manga influence 
and music and like music fan stuff and and superhero references and video game logic as, as scott pilgrim does right right well i think that's that's what drew me into it as even just reading the book i was like wow there's all these you know different reference points and even though i'm not completely up to speed on all of them there's enough sort of meat there where i'm like i get where this 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 story is coming from yeah and it's really funny it's great yeah made me laugh to beat the band so preston is there any stuff you've discovered that you think kind of is of a similar vintage as scott pilgrim it's it's tough to gauge that just because scott pilgrim as much as you know i i jokingly have been almost dismissive to my uh, being compared to it like scott pilgrim hit me at the right time like there is a certain magic to scott pilgrim for me that just you know i'm constantly searching for it but i don't think that there is much else that nails superheroes manga or like american comics japanese comics uh video games and rock and roll in a way that it works. Like there are comics about people in bands. There are comics about people that read comics. There are comics about people that play video games, but nothing encapsulates every quote unquote unproductive thing that a a teenager or someone in their early twenties could be enamored with uh, that I've come across. That's not to say that it isn't out there, but I feel like, Scott Pilgrim took the relatability of Peter Parker to a a level that I didn't think would be possible uh, in a lot of senses. Like as much as I'd like to think I'm a slightly better person and partner than Scott Pilgrim is in those books, like the trying to navigate being in a band and trying to navigate being a, a friend and being a brother and being, uh, you know, a, a romantic while also just not knowing what the fuck you're doing is, is just so, so real. And there, there aren't, I mean, there's the hyper reality, but he doesn't have superpowers. It's just at night he has to play in a band. <laughs> right. It's weird when you describe it like that, it reminds me of, um, like Jaime Hernandez stuff from the eighties, like the love and rockets comics uh, with, with Maggie and Hopi. Cause it's not like a one-to-one comparison. I think instead of the Japanese comics, I feel like art wise, like Dan DiCarlo, Archie, but I think, but I think the themes are very similar. And um, I, I actually, I, I mean, I think love and rockets is probably a little better than Scott Pilgrim, but it's, I think if you like that, I think that's probably worth, worth looking at. Oh yeah. I, I have read some Love and Rockets. I certainly not uh, as well versed in it as, say, Archie, which I think another comparison would be kind of like this is what I would have imagined a 2010s or early 2000s Archie reboot could have been, where like it is this goofy gang of musicians or like a reboot of the Archies, not necessarily Archie, uh, where it's just like, it's, it's everyday life. That's a little weird. Um, but Archie's kind of selfish 
in a way that he doesn't necessarily exhibit in the Archie books. If that makes sense. No, I, I totally get that. Like, I mean, he's balancing two, two love interests. That's Archie right there. Uh, but Archie's a little more aloof. And to be, I guess, a little kinder to Archie than I am to Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> the, the comparison I'm drawing to a, to a more recent uh, uh, piece of media is, I, I feel like there's a little bit, I, I'm a huge fan of shows and movies and, and comic books where the characters, I, I, I sort of mentioned it earlier, I really love that sort of post-high school low stakes everybody's broke and just trying their best sort of storyline you see it in mall rats and you see it in clerks and and i i also saw it um in the show reservation dogs where where there's there is a supernatural element but it's really just these kids sort of living these like low these low stakes low rent lives and just sort of trying to like navigate now again, you know, that that's sort of where the comparison ends, but I just, I, I, and I think it, it, maybe it's because once you reach a certain age, like I'm, I'm in my late forties at this point, you sort of pine for the days where your biggest adventure was just walking to store 24 with your friends and, and buying flips and vanilla Cokes or whatever. And I, and that's, I think that, that, that's one of the things that drew me, to Scott Pilgrim was the idea of these, you know, these, I don't want to say small lives because they're the, they're everything when you're at that age, but you know, the, the, the bigger concerns haven't come in yet. And I've, I've really identified that I was pretty damn obsessed with reservation dogs and cannot wait for a season two because of that exact same kind of energy where it's just like, let's head on, let's head on down to the dollar store and try to sell our weird deer meat jerky to make enough money to buy gas to go and steal more copper wire. And, and there's also a, a, a mythological, dear creature lady who who makes an appearance i thought that stuff was brilliant and it's been interesting to me to see like the movies edgar wright's made in the wake of scott pilgrim uh you know he did the world ends the world's end with simon Pegg, which is kind of like a movie about middle age right and after that he's kind of done riffs on genre films like uh, i think baby drivers like a heist movie and right um last night in soho which i fucking loved um you know it's kind of a riff on jello and thriller and everything but it's um i i really like edgar wright but i i do feel like he hit on something kind of special in terms of the content and his style with scott Pilgrim. right well it was a very it seemed like a very very right place right time thing mm. the cast was exactly right and all you know those it, you know a couple of years later all of those people would have ascended you know to a different point in their career and you might not have been able to assemble that kind of a cast and you might not have been able to assemble those particular musicians who brought the music to life it it really does seem like one of those perfect scenarios where everything just sort of fell into place now when you say right place right time you are spelling it with a w right oh sure yeah let's i mean we can we'll fix that in post but yeah no i agree like it is i would say there is a peak Edgar Wright that we've seen so far. It's probably this film. It's, it is so jam packed. It's so dense with visual comedy and so dense 
with like one-liners and it's just every every second there's something that you you probably miss because you're still processing something that happened before well even just the 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 i love the the sort of like that that scene commentary where there's the one band that sort of has sort of ascended to another level and everyone's sort of in awe but also jealous of them and also kind of shitty about it you know what i mean like that and then there's the hangers on and that yeah like I, everyone finds a way to tie themselves into the myth of that band whether i dated her beforehand or i'm i have backstage access because i marginally know yeah it, it's it was there was and, and again that the, the vegan pissing contest scene made me and then even just the the scene at the very end where he had he, he has to keep he keeps trying to get back to the to the boss level and he keeps having to deal with the guys at the door. Yeah. And it's the it's the same fucking conversation that you have a million times. Yeah. With the guy at the door. Is he your friend? I re- I remember uh realizing a few years ago that there was there was a couple of people that I had been interacting with in Providence for almost 30 years. And the only thing we knew about each other was each other's names and like, Hey, how you been? But I, but I had known them for 30 years. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's, and it's like, you know, it, th- that film does a really good job of sort of capturing those weird, like somebody you see on the bus constantly, but, and so you know them, but you don't really know them and what, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I remember sort of taking a lot of joy in watching that play itself out on, on the screen. Yeah, and then, like, you know, everyone kind of serves a purpose to an extent where, like, you know, that, as we mentioned earlier, that guy, Como, like, he's the dude that knows everything because yeah. he's, you know, a couple, clearly a couple years older than most of these people. And he is content to just stick around and talk about, you know, having seen the band earlier or having uh, yeah. heard an earlier release of theirs. Like, there's the joke. Uh, when he's re-entering the the club, he's like, you know, the the first album. Now that is better than I would say the first album. Like the, he, the thing about the first album is, it's yeah, better yeah, than the first album. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. I, we I we all know or or somehow aspired to be that guy. Yeah, <laughs> in uh, in our particular uh, circles of friends, certainly. You know, we we need to let people know that with sympathy is the best ministry album. So Preston, any final thoughts on Scott Pilgrim versus the world? I love that movie. It's a, it's a great one. Um, I think that if you have any sort of uh, even like a, a superficial knowledge of the pop culture of the late 80s to the early 2000s, you'll find something that you'll enjoy in this film if you haven't already enjoyed it. Uh and yeah, that's what life in a band that isn't going anywhere is like. So where where can pe- where can people find your bands? You can go to kissingcontest.com. It will give you a whole bunch of different places to find me on uh, your favorite streaming service and on Bandcamp. Kissing Contest will be playing the Providence Art Re- Revolt at Revival Brewery on August 6th. Uh, there is a bunch of other bands that are playing and there will be a bunch of art vendors and, uh, art on display by local artists. Uh, you can hear my music in 
the uh, new hit film Disorienting Dick by Richard Mark Griffin. Um, you can, let's say I had a, had some notes pulled up. Yeah, actually that, I think that's it. Oh, uh, today I got a, a screenshot sent to me making fun of this year's motif awards. Uh, but then also I noticed that I was nominated for one. So vote for kissing contest as best electronic act. Um, but don't let nice. <laughs> motif's description of my band deter you. We are definitely not an electronic band <laughs> um but yes if you really like electronic music <laughs> we are an electronic band labels are for cans of soup <laughs> exactly labels are for cans of soup so just write kissing contest in to every category on the 2022 motif music awards uh we're bound to win one of them thanks for having me this, yeah this was great all right. Well, thank you for joining us for this uh, discussion of Scott Pilgrim. Mike and I have uh, another podcast that we do with our friend Liam, where we're going through every episode of the 80s detective show Moonlighting. Uh, as Liam gets more and more agitated with his hatred of the show. So tune in, tune in for that. It's called Let's Get Chatty About David and Maddie. And uh, I'm going to be at Dragon Con Labor Day weekend, but I don't know what i'm talking about on stage yet aside from uh and i don't know when it is but i'm going to be on a panel about visual storytelling so that should be exciting too uh thanks everyone and we will be back soon hopefully Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime.